Well, welcome to another live broadcast of the Bible Believers podcast. I'm David McArthur, your host. Ian, uh, good morning to you down there uh, on the other side of the world. Welcome and uh, thank you for joining us. So, um, now I've got a problem with the microphone. I'm going to pick that up straight away. Yeah, I just need to turn that down. Okay, right. Seems to adjust itself. I'm not sure why. Our concern or our Bible study this evening is going to be on the subject of divorce, which in many ways isn't a happy subject, but it's an important subject uh, and one which is very relevant to Christians in all ages and especially in our current age. And um, therefore, uh, my prayer is and my hope is that I will be able to represent faithfully what the scripture says on this subject. We can't possibly cover every aspect of this in a single Bible study. And furthermore, I'm not doing these Bible studies by way of being a marriage guidance counsellor or anything of that sort. So my prayer is that uh, God would help us and encourage us. Also, there will be many people whose hearts have been broken, whose lives have been shattered, whose uh, lives have been changed by this thing called divorce. That's true of myself. It's true of others. And my prayer is you might find some comfort, some help, if necessary, rebuke and uh, a call to repentance. But nevertheless, that as a result of this, we would come through this seeing that our God, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, is greater than all of these things, and that he is for us and has mercy upon us. So our subject this evening is divorce. Gavin welcomes Sonia. Very warm welcome to you, Sonia, uh, and uh, Bernadette and Amanda. Welcome. Uh, And we have a great mix uh, of uh, friends here already uh, from different parts of the world, and thank the Lord for that. So uh, I'm going to read several passages all the relevant passages because there's too many and also because uh, the subject of remarriage god willing on monday evenings bible study again that's a, that's an important pastoral concern topic and um let me just put the camera right i'm very uh, slightly sort of obsessive about this but it's not quite in line and uh, i just wanted to put that where it should be thank you i'll try not to do it again it's not very good is it when the camera moves around and everything goes jittery but there we are Oh, slowly I'm learning to use the technology. Lan, welcome to you down there in Texas, uh, and God bless you, Lan, as well. The Lord bless you and, uh, and your and your family. And um, so, um, so I'm considering the subject of divorce today. We considered the subject of marriage. That marriage is good. That marriage is of God. Kim Anderson, welcome. Uh, it's great to see you. And um, so we're considering the subject of uh, of divorce this evening. Let's start by reading from Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verses 1 and 2. Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 and 2. This is the word of God. When a man take, hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favour in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Now there's further teaching there, which I'll leave till Monday, but God willing. But the thing here is this, that um, a lot of debate on these verses uh, revolves around the question of some uncleanness. Does that mean anything or everything? Even in Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought. There were two rabbis. One was Hillel and the other, I forget the name of the other one, but uh, one said that uh, a man could divorce his wife for any reason if she burns the toast. Well, I don't think they had toast in those days, but the equivalent of that, um, if he just doesn't like her or fancies somebody else, he can divorce her and go off. The other said, no, divorce is a very mar- narrow thing. Uh, and of course, it's something which is uh, which is not to be encouraged or desired. 
and Jesus affirms that, that divorce is a narrow thing. Divorce is something which is um, which is very specific. Uh, Jesus elaborates on this and he tells us what God says about this. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 19 and we'll read verses 3 to 11. Matthew chapter 19 and verses 3 to 11. So we read as follows. <clears throat> the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any cause? And he answered and said unto them, have ye not read he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hearts suffered you to put away your wives but from the beginning it was and i say unto you whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery and his disciples say unto him if the case of the man be so with his wife it is good it is not good to marry but he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. And then if we turn to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 to 15. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 to 15. Very important passage also. Paul speaking to the trials and difficulties that Christians have in marriage. Sometimes when they're married to other believers, sometimes when they're married to an unbeliever. But Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 to 15. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, and be reconciled to, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother have a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Jasno, welcome to you from Slovakia and uh, Slovenia. Sorry, uh, I correct myself again on that one. Jasno, welcome, and it's good to see you. So um, we have these verses on marriage. Again, I just want to stress, I'm not trying to trigger anybody. For some of us, these will be very sensitive issues. I even got a little angry at some points when I was studying for this Bible study and brought that to the Lord in prayer, because one of the important things for us in the long run is that we're not angry, we're not bitter, that we move on, that we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. If something like this happens, yes, I, I, my, I, it's, one can feel almost like it's a confession of some terrible sin, but I'm David and I'm I'm uh, I, I'm a divorcee. That uh, it's like saying uh, I'm I'm David and I'm an alcoholic or something like that. I'm David and I'm, I'm a divorcee. But many of us, if that's our state, we have no choice. We've had no choice in the matter. Something came upon us which we didn't want, which we didn't desire, which we uh, found to be exceptionally distressing. And Slovakia, Jasna. So I'm corrected again. Thank you, Jasna. You're very 
patient bearing with me in that. Something came upon us that we didn't want, and then we found that we have to carry around this mark, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a mark that we're divorced. Getting divorced has taught me that uh, we should be full of compassion for divorced people in the churches, and uh, uh, not just for the, the innocent, but the guilty as well. Uh, they, they, there are, there's a lot of counselling, a lot of help, a lot of encouragement, and sometimes a lot of rebuke necessary in these cases. But uh, I, I know that some of us here will have been very bad wounded by these matters, and my desire, my heart's desire is to be an encouragement to you. And as I say, I don't want this to be triggering. Um, I hope it's not, because again, the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than all of these things. Let's pray. Father, we ask and pray that your blessing will be on this Bible study. Father, in so much to say things which come from your word, I pray that these would be uh, an encouragement and an instruction and a challenge to us. In so much as I say things which come from myself, Lord, because of my need for greater understanding, Father, I pray that this would fall on unhearing ears, Lord. I pray, Father, this matter of divorce is so important and it affects so many of us in so many different ways. But, Father, help us to look to Jesus Christ, our Saviour, to see that the Lord Jesus has overcome the world and that our sufferings in this present time are nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed within us. Father, forgive us for our sins, for our failings, Lord. Give us grace to forgive those, especially those that have harmed or hurt us, and we may feel very badly indeed in some cases. And Father, help us to be examples of grace and godliness and love and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Forgive us that we're often not these things, Father, but have mercy upon us. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ. We know that this is sufficient for us and that all these things are, 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 are brought under the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you that our salvation doesn't depend upon our works. It depends solely upon your grace revealed in that cross, in that sacrifice, in that giving of your Son. And so, Father, we commend ourselves to you in this hour. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. I think I should give a, a further disclaimer that I have very little understanding or knowledge of uh, who might be listening and what your marital situation is i hope that many people who have come to this site are happily married and uh, joyfully married uh, uh, and uh, i hope also that uh, if there are those who are struggling they find find comfort and grace and strength but we have we have to deal with this subject of divorce we have to deal with it it's absolutely common in our day when i was growing up there weren't many people who were divorced divorce was uh, frowned on and uh, Therefore, uh, it was easier for churches to say, well, divorce is unusual and therefore we can show some prejudice or make a distinction against people who are divorced. Today, if we want to see revival, for example, in England or in any of our countries, we would see a huge number of people influxing into the church who are divorced. Some of them married multiple times with children from different marriages and like even like the woman uh, at the world of Saika. Um, that uh, she had been married five times and had, was not her husband. And all of those pastoral difficulties and uh, problems that arise from that. So this is a subject that's really important. It's important to me because of my own experiences. Um, I want to just look at further scripture just now, particularly Malachi 2, verses 14 to 16. Malachi chapter 2, and verse, last, last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. And verses 14 to 16, and in Malachi chapter 2, we read these words, and it just tells us, um, uh, And ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. 
and did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. God calls it treacherously for a husband or wife to deal traitorously towards their um, husband or their wife. In this case, there were those who were dealing treacherously with their wives of their youth. Perhaps they, they were from the school of Hillel and they, 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 Hillel and they said, well, um, I can find somebody younger or richer or something like that. But they had dealt treacherously and God sees it. Marriage, God says, is for life. God hates divorce and uh, uh, he is a God who, who 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 hates divorce. He shows us that divorce isn't natural. It wasn't there in the beginning. And yet in some cases, divorce is necessary and allowable. And when that happens, there are innocent parties, as we shall see. But God hates divorce. I have to say from a personal point of view, I hate divorce. I've had a lot of experience of it in my life, and it's horrible. It's um, been absolutely the worst experiences of my life have been connected with divorce. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord Jesus that he's greater than these things. He's helped me uh, and helped me to overcome these things by his grace. So let me just say something about my own experience, first of all, as, uh, uh, as a child, as a, as a teenager when I was 13 years old. And also, I want to speak then about my experiences now as, a, as an adult and my own divorce. Uh, my parents separated when I was 13 years old and then they divorced. Uh, and this was a horrible, horrible blow to me as a teenager and to my brothers. Uh, and it's affected us for the rest of our lives. There are innocent parties in divorce. Divorce affects children. It affects others. In the church, it can lead to, I, I fear that it can lead to a domino effect. Or other marriages that are weak in Christian circles can be weakened further still by the sight of supposedly strong couples falling to pieces. But my experience when I was a child, my parents weren't Christians. My experience when I was a child was that I felt utterly ashamed of what had happened. We were living in the south of England. We moved to the north of England with my mother. And uh, there was great acrimony between my parents. And uh, I felt utterly ashamed. The other children at school had two parents. I only had one. They had a car in the family. We had none and things like that. And people were saying, Where, where's your dad, David? And I'd say, he's not here. And this, you know, as a, son, as a son and as a child, as a teenager, as a young teenager, I felt utterly ashamed. That's how I felt. I'm simply saying that. And then I felt very guilty as well about what had happened. And I felt responsible. And in my mind, again and again, as a child, I went through the thought, well, maybe I was a bad boy and maybe it was my behavior that caused the divorce. And I'm simply saying this because I think probably there are many children in divorce situations who think they're responsible. That even though their parents will say, oh, no, no, it wasn't your fault or anything like that. That is how children might feel about their parents' divorce. That's how I felt. And of course, there was the terrible, terrible ache and emptiness of, um, of being without a father figure at home. That's something that's so important and so distressing. And... Uh, I remember just missing my father so much um, when we were uh, at home. And, and it, it just it, it's, it's a devastating experience for you. Also, I, I, like my brothers, I wanted my parents to get back together. And we would, every time there was contact between them, we would hope something would happen that would make them like each other again. We didn't understand divorce. We didn't understand the divisions between them. We didn't understand the relationships of marriage or anything like that. We just wanted our parents to get back together. 
In fact, 12 years after my parents divorced, my father did approach my mother and say, could we get back together again? And she said, no, no. And uh, divorce is a terrible, terrible thing. And that affects children for the rest of their lives. It covers their gardens, garments with violence elsewhere. It talks about that. And this is what happens. It, 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 divorce is, is, there's always sin involved in divorce. It doesn't mean that both parties are responsible for the divorce. It doesn't mean that both parties are committing the sin in the divorce. One party might be solely responsible for what's going on. But there is always sin involved in divorce. And it's always it, it always brings dishonor to the glory of God especially in the church. Um, after my parents divorced and we were living in a, a much smaller property in the north of England uh, and uh, we'd been wrenched and put in a new place, I had to witness, I, I witnessed my mother struggling against what were almost impossible odds. She had to cope with three very uh, unruly sons in a new place on very tight budget uh, and she had to cope with all the emotional uh, problems she had of losing her husband and the way in which she'd been treated. And I can only say, uh, years after both my parents have died, I can only say that I am amazed at the strength my mother had and the way that she came through, and especially in bringing up us lot um, under such circumstances. It must have been it must have been an almost impossible, uh, extraordinary fight she had against the temptation to despair and give up, but she didn't. That was my mother after the divorce. So then my own divorce, and I want to speak just briefly about this because obviously all the players are still alive and it's, I don't, I'm not going to speak here with bitterness or anything like that. I certainly don't want to do that. But the same things, the same feelings, I, I was utterly ashamed. I felt utterly ashamed that I was divorced. People will come up and say, are you married, David? And I'll say, I'm, I'm divorced. Um, even today I'll do that because because there's a stigma that goes with this and I, I feel absolutely ashamed that I'm a divorced man and yet I wouldn't want I wouldn't want others to feel that way I, I think one of the things that's come out of this that's positive for me is that I want to really help people in the same situation I really want to see divorced people in churches where they're treated badly it's not true that they're treated badly in all churches but in some churches where they're treated badly treated with more kindness and more respect and given more help as they need it um so, but, and I felt absolutely condemned. One of the things, one of the things that really frustrated me during the period of going through the divorce is that absolutely everybody else seemed to know everything about my marriage and they all seemed to know exactly what was wrong with it and that what, what was bad at it. And nobody seemed to think that I had any opinion and nobody seemed to think that I knew anything about my marriage. So my, I wasn't consulted. I wasn't considered to have a worthy opinion. Yet I'd like to suggest that I knew an awful lot more about my divorce than anybody else apart from the one that was divorcing me. The second thing is I felt really guilty, just like I did when I was a boy. These were the same feelings that I had when I was a boy when my parents divorced. I felt really guilty, and I was constantly asking myself if I had said such and such and such and such a year, if I did such and such and such and such a time, would it have changed things? Well, such questions aren't helpful. Um, it's quite clear that in any marriage we all behave badly at times and sometimes often. It, it's it's not enough to say that uh, so-and-so has obviously behaved badly and therefore that justifies divorce. Jesus tells us what can justify a divorce, what might justify a divorce. The Bible tells us that. The fact is in any marriage you have two people who are sinners and in any marriage, even in the church, even with mature Christians, you have two people who are sinners and uh, and, and therefore we're going to have to be committed and devoted to making that marriage work irrespective of our failings but uh but sadly marriages even christian marriages fail and sometimes quite often 
of course, um, of course, there are different divorces. There's a divorce where a Christian is divorced by an unbeliever. There's a divorce where two Christians divorce. That's very sad when two Christians divorce each other. Somebody somewhere surely is failing to serve the Lord, and yet, and yet, it's important. I'm not judging anybody else here because because we are extraordinarily we are, we are fallen creatures, and uh, you might have a divorce where both people come out and both protest that they are right and that they're not to blame for what happened and you can't decide or you might decide and make a wrong decision churches might discipline the wrong person or they might condemn the wrong person or maybe that both are worthy of condemnation or, or, or in some some cases i think it's unlikely neither but but uh divorce always involves sin on someone's part somebody is sinning in a divorce because for example the example that jesus gives is adultery fornication that that person who's committed that adultery and fornication has brought the marriage to the place of destruction. A divorce always involves sin. Somebody walks away from the Lord and leaves their Christian spouse. That involves sin. And divorce always brings dishonor to God in the church. It brings dishonor to the Lord. It unsettles the people of God. It gives the world the occasion to mock, to point the finger, to say, look at those Christians. They're no different from the world. And that is, this is the saddest thing. It's the saddest thing about my book, Divorce, that it's brought dishonor to the Lord. And of course, just as when I got, my parents got divorced, I was affected. My children also were affected my, by my divorce. And I'm very, very sad about that. There are a lot of innocent third parties in any divorce, not just the person who's been divorced, but, the, but many others as well, innocent third parties who had nothing to do with it, who are affected. For example, a whole church might be uh, torn apart by somebody's divorce, um, and uh, that that affects everybody very very badly. So, there, but there are there are we need to say this: there are innocent parties in divorce. I've listened to sermons on sermon audio about divorce, and there's a big body of Christians who say uh, that um, there's no such thing as an innocent party, and they use the phrase. I've heard the phrase used: "It takes two to tango." Well, I find that absolutely sick and reprehensible. Of course, there can be innocent parties in a divorce. What, what aren't perfect members of, of a married couple? What isn't is, is, is a spouse, a husband or a wife who can say, well, I behaved perfectly in that marriage and I never did anything wrong and neither was I ever provocative or nasty or unkind or cruel or indifferent and so on, that, that we are sinners. But that doesn't make us guilty. It doesn't mean that somebody is justified in divorcing us because we have fallen um, there are innocent parties, for example. Um, so the two to tango argument is shockingly ignorant, shockingly naive. So here's a couple of examples I just drew up. Supposing a man commits adultery, supposing he goes off and sleeps with another man's wife, but nobody knows about it and he covers it up and he covers it up by uh, bad mouthing his wife and framing her for a divorce for which she's not responsible. The church and the world the church in the world never find out the truth, but she is devastated, and he is the one that's the guilty party. Now, who's innocent in that situation? Uh, and um, here's another example: um, that uh, a, a woman gets bored with the marriage. Um, she she no longer um, loves or feels loved by her husband, and she wants the excitement of romance because she's very worldly her love for the lord jesus is tenuous and so what she does is she's just bored but she goes for a no-fault divorce in the uk now we have no-fault divorce which means it's just a matter of signing papers and that's your divorce 
Um, and so she does that. And um, who's innocent in this situation? Bored, being bored with somebody or feeling that I'm trapped in a, the wrong place is not grounds for divorce, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, many of us uh, will go through that experience. That's not grounds for divorce. Marriage is about commitment for life under the most difficult at times and trying of circumstances. Or, or maybe her husband isn't as rich as she wanted or his wife becomes seriously ill and he decides to frame her and find a way to leave her. There are innocent parties in divorce and the church must recognize that. If the church simply has that there's no innocent parties, it takes two to tango. The church is going to end up doing to condemning the just when that just person is at their lowest ebb when they are being absolutely hammered maybe they're going to lose everything they own maybe that they've worked for all their lives maybe they're going to lose their children uh, maybe they're going to lose their reputation when they are um, trying to survive crawling in the gutter trying to survive trying to get out and trying to go forward the church comes and hammers us hammers them with the biggest clobber you are responsible for your divorce why because it takes two to tango the church has to judge with righteous judgment. We're not to we're not to acquit the guilty. That means the church must rebuke. If somebody's a professing Christian, um, then the church has to rebuke them if they are responsible for an unbiblical divorce and call them to repentance. But at the same time, the church must not condemn those who are innocent in this situation. My own experience was, and some of you, Amanda, thank you for your um comment we should show love and compassion for anyone in not only divorce but any situation where people are hurt yes our church is full of compassion we should be full of compassion uh, in these days but uh, in my own experience some of you who've followed me for several years know that three and a half years ago i was homeless and that reason i was homeless wasn't because i was penniless i had money in the bank it's because i was so broken by losing my home and uh, losing um, effectively my family at that time and losing my wife and losing everything else and God had mercy on me that's how I ended up in Hull God sent me to Hull he put me in a place in Hull uh, I was crying out to, to, to God day and night for a place to live and uh, our brother Tim um, uh, lent me his house in Hull and that was God's opening and God's mercy and blessing so we need to accept there are people who are not there's no perfect husband or perfect wife there's nobody who I mean, again, again, experiences, divorce lawyers, if we if we wanted to sit down, if we were married and we wanted to sit down, we could easily get for a divorce lawyer a, a, a damning, condemning case. And uh, these people don't make money, I find, by saying good things or nice things about people. And uh, But love keeps no record of wrong, in my opinion. Um, and... So, so we need to say that uh, that there are innocent parties, and we, these innocent parties might be in the gutter, they might be on their faces, they might be dying inside, they might be distressed beyond measure, they might be overcome with grief, they might be, uh, as well as all the practical things, they might be penniless, homeless, friendless. Uh, and it's really important that we don't take the view that, well, if you're divorced, that's your own stupid fault, you were a bad husband, you were a bad wife, and there's no justifying your situation. Um, so divorce is a terrible thing. I hate divorce. God hates divorce. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Um, and uh, this is really important. Uh, Jay Adams in his book on marriage, divorce and remarriage says in some churches they are, they treat it as if it was related to the unforgivable sin, that, that somehow there are two classes of sinner in the church. There's the divorced and the non-divorced. 
that divorced people aren't even allowed to sing in the choir because uh, that would be terrible. But what makes divorce such an unforgivable sin? What makes a divorced person so unfunctional, so so unclean that they can't function normally in the church? There may be pastoral issues relating to divorce. There may be great and troubling and complex issues relating to a person's divorce, but surely that person once restored to fellowship with the church should have the same opportunities and equal um, abilities to function and serve in the church. Even since my divorce went through four years ago, I've experienced some prejudice in churches uh, against, for example, my ministry, um, which I find uh, unfair. Um, there's many ministers who minister the word of God whose wives have left them because they minister the word of God. I'm not talking about my own situation. I'm not going to go into detail on my own situation. But but the thing here is this, that doesn't negate a ministry. That's an example of a, a woman who... who um, who leaves her husband because he is serving Christ faithfully and she's guilty and responsible for her actions. Um, Job's wife was a pillar of salt. Uh, and um, we find, uh, jo sorry, Job's wife, Job's wife, remember Lot's wife, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Job's wife told him to curse God and die. So the church needs to grow up in her understanding and treat of divorce and divorcees uh, and that that may involve some work but divorce is not the um unforgivable sin divorced people should be able to move in churches and fellowship with other people in the church and uh, w w w in every normal capacity um and uh, this is really really important and it's essential in these days let, let me let me say why i'm happy to take on this issue uh, although it's something that should lead to fear and trembling. First of all, it gives me a chance to talk about my own experiences, and I think that's going to be helpful for some people. But secondly, as an evangelist, I want to see thousands upon thousands of people come into the church in these days, and I know that thousands upon thousands of people are divorced. And if the church presents a picture to divorce people, that somehow they are inferior to other people, or somehow there's an extra barrier to coming to the Lord Jesus Christ to being saved by faith, no wonder they stay away. I don't go to church. I wouldn't darken the door of that place because they are unkind to divorcees because they treat us differently because they think we've committed a greater sin, worse than bank robbery or murder or abortion even. Uh, those people are easily forgiven, but divorcees aren't. We have to grow up in the way that we treat this subject and we have to, we have to recognize this. There's no way we're ever going to see revival without facing this issue. Uh, and we need to be very gracious about it. Elders need to be prepared and they need to be they need to be trained and, and, and training themselves in the word of God and understanding how to manage these issues. Also, I want to say this, and perhaps some of us have come across this. One thing I found particularly, apart from the fact that everybody had an opinion on my marriage and nobody wanted my opinion on my marriage, although I felt I knew more about it than they did. Uh, but that wasn't going to be permitted. Uh, another thing that I found peculiarly awkward, frustrating and difficult is when people come to me well after the divorce and still say to me, but you're still married in God's eyes. You're still married in God's eyes. That's not only unbiblical because marriage is a separation. Jesus said, whatever God has, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So the Lord Jesus is recognizing the separation. He's recognizing the divorce, even though it's wrought of men and not of God. The Lord Jesus recognizes it. To say to divorced people, you're still married in God's eyes, is like a ball and chain tied around the neck. It's something which places you in an untenable, impossible position. It's not biblical, 
And um, I'm not still married in God's eyes. I'm divorced. And um, yes, yes, I have the option of re remarrying under some circumstances. I'm speaking generally. I don't think that's going to happen in my case. But um, I have the option in some cases. We, we have that option and even the responsibility to, to at least try and work for that. But um, to say that we're still married in God's eyes is unbiblical. And um, try, try saying to the spouse who filed for divorce, who is ungodly, unholy, and has gone off into the world and is pursuing the world, try saying to, to the spouse who has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and got rid of the truth and uh, abandoned the faith, try saying to them, oh, but you're still married. See what they say to you when you tell them that God says they're still married. They will laugh their socks off. They will probably get angry and they will... They will probably walk away um, in contempt. Um, if divorce is the total negation of marriage vows, it's the it's the breaking of a relationship, it's the severing of a bond. Uh, and of course, going back to that, if it's the breaking of marriage vows, that's the one who unjustly files for the divorce, or is responsible for the adultery, who is responsible for breaking those marriage vows. Um, I didn't do anything about it. Um, I didn't want divorce, and it, I couldn't. I didn't have any option. Um, and again, I'm, I'm I'm really not here to justify myself. I'm I'm here to say that uh, I hate divorce. I hate being divorced. I hate the effect that divorce has had on my life, my brothers' lives, my sons' lives, and um, and and also on us too. My parents, for example, after they got divorced, neither of them was ever in the, in the, in the remaining forty years or so of their lives, on average. Um, neither of them was ever happy again. They rebuilt their lives. They rebuilt their social situations. Neither of them remarried, but neither, in my opinion, was ever happy again after that. And uh, the difference for me is that I know Jesus Christ, and he is my first love. And because I know Jesus Christ, then I have bright hope for tomorrow, as the hymn goes, bright hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're in that situation, walk with the Lord Jesus, trust him. He is greater than these things. This world will soon end. Our lives will soon be at a close, and this will be ancient history. We may suffer much in this world, but um, but this is all coming to an end. Um, so divorce is a complete annulling of the marriage contract. In Deuteronomy there, we read how the woman would be given a certificate of divorce, and she was then entitled to go and marry somebody else. Uh, it, Jesus uh, is talking about it, the putting asunder of the, the bond of marriage, that they were one flesh, but what God has joined together, man's broken. Uh, and uh, Paul is talking about the complete dissolution of that relationship of marriage. Just going to check some comments. Um, Kim Anderson, uh, sorry, Amanda says, I had no idea that people are treated as such. Well, I'm sort of going on my own experience, Kim. And I, uh, Amanda, sorry, and I know that there are others who've been much loved, and much cared for in their distress and in their difficulty by the church, and I thank God for that. Uh, and I haven't had the experiences I've had, but uh, I've had the other end of the stick and been harsh. Um, and that's why that's why I want to be. That's, I almost want to be an ambassador for divorced Christians and divorced people, and say that the door to salvation is wide open. The door to mercy and forgiveness is wide open how great is the god we adore how great is his mercy and his he's our faithful unchangeable friend kim i was ostracized um by your previous church um kim again I'm, i i can't i can't comment on your situation beyond what you you, you said but i do wish you god's blessing and, and goodness and i know that the lord has brought you through and um i'm so thankful to the Lord that he's brought you through and many others here as well. 
And um, as I say, from my own point of view, it's not, I, I can't justify myself to you. If I go back to the people who have an opinion on my marriage and the, they cut me out of that opinion, it's not, I, I can't go around for the rest of my life trying to say, look, I was an innocent party. As, as, all I can say is if you want to think that I'm guilty and I'm responsible, you think that, but I am looking to Jesus. I am satisfied in my own mind that uh, I'm repentant for what um, satisfied that i'm trusting in jesus christ alone go back there if people want to be prejudiced against me if they want to be harsh towards me if they want to condemn me if they think they know everything about my marriage and they know everything about my divorce then let them but i'm walking with the lord jesus christ my conscience is clear because the lord has washed away my sins in his blood but uh kim um, i'm um I'm glad the, the Lord Jesus brought you through, Kim, and uh, the Lord brought me through as well as bringing me through, because I still think it's early days as far as I'm concerned. Four years, it feels like a very short time. Um, it, it seems to take me a long time to get through things. Uh, Bernadette, uh, thank you for your message, but I, I didn't get to it before you retracted it, so uh, but thank you anyway. Um, so so this, this uh, compassion towards divorced people in the churches is what is what I suppose that's the big thing that i really feel very passionate a lot of things are passionate about but feel very passionately about here because if not we're, we're putting an obstacle to people coming to that salvation that comes from god because if we are wronged by the church if the church does if, if, if the elders investigate and they investigate thoroughly and they investigate in good conscience and they're full of compassion and loving kindness and they make a mistake which they can easily do and they condemn the just and and, and exonerate the unrighteous then we also must be forgiving uh, in those situations. It's difficult, it's hard, but um, the, the difficulty is when, uh, when elders aren't conscientious about what they do. But sometimes churches will condemn the just and exonerate the unrighteous, uh, and that makes the burden of those who are, who've been wronged much greater. But uh, we must bring that to the Lord in prayer. Really, really important about divorce that we end up without bitterness, we end up without anger, um, we can't do that if we're not Christians and only with God's help and only by the grace of God can we bring our bitterness. It, it, it's, 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 to me, it's, an, it's absolutely imperative for me that I'm not angry and that I'm not bitter. And if those weeds spring up and if they do spring up, they're fast growing reeds that very quickly choke things, then I must take them to the Lord to hack them down and, 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 and dig out their roots as soon as I can. Um, and uh, the Lord Jesus can give me the grace to do what I don't have any any um, personal strength to do, but it's all by the grace of God. Well, I want to talk about biblical grounds for divorce. We've, we're probably very familiar with this. The Lord Jesus gives adultery, sexual morality as biblical grounds for divorce. It's important to say here that um, that if there are biblical grounds for a divorce, if, if a man is caught in adultery or his wife is caught in adultery, that Jesus isn't saying that divorce is compulsory. And there are some people who have been in that situation and they've rebuilt their marriages. Um, and uh, some people have been in that situation, they've rebuilt their marriages and uh, and thank the Lord for that. It's not saying that you have to get divorced. Now, again, two scenarios I could just invent uh, here are the first where a man commits adultery. He is bitterly repentant and his tears are genuine. Uh, and absolutely, he is brokenhearted at his foolishness and his wretched sin. And she forgives him. And they come together and they agree that they're going to work to fix this. 
But if in a different scenario, he's a serial adulterer, he refuses to repent and he um, continues and expects his wife to love him and put up with him anyway, I can't see an awful lot of hope for that marriage. But again, these are scenarios I'm pulling out of my head. But Jesus is not saying that divorce is, a comp is compulsory, but divorce is, is permitted on the grounds of adultery, sexual immorality, the betrayal and the breaking of marriage bonds under those circumstances. Now, in the second situation, we're in First um, Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, Paul is talking about the situation of, uh, of um, abandonment. And this is a situation where, well, there's two situations here. First of all, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, um, uh, verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So verse 10, the wife is commanded by the Lord Jesus not to depart from her husband. And uh, then um, Paul says, if she departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband then is commanded not to put away his wife. So in a Christian marriage, we're not to put away our wives. And this is true if we're married to an unbeliever as well. We're not to put away our wives. We're not to put away um, our husband. Now, Jay uh, Adams, in his book on divorce, marriage, divorce and remarriage, uh, makes an interesting comment when it talks about the wife departing from her husband. In Greek culture, in which Paul was living and writing, there was no concept there of the wife going away and living separately and then being separated but still married the departing from her husband was the equivalent of divorce in greek culture so jay adams tells us that this when he says um uh, let not the wife depart from her husband but if she does if she sins and departs from her husband then that then jay adams makes the point jay adams and i think we should think this through for ourselves that she is actually obliged under those circumstances to divorce her husband or be reconciled to him. Um, either way, uh, Paul is, is allowing that for desertion, divorce is permissible. Now, this is desertion when, if somebody departs, but they love the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if the husband and wife love the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going through a rough patch and she departs, even if she's divorced him, then the command from the Lord Jesus Christ to her and to him is be reconciled. If they both love the Lord Jesus Christ, they're to be reconciled. That's the command. And um, if one of them isn't reconciled, isn't willing to be reconciled, then, then that person really is behaving like an unbeliever and should be disciplined by the church accordingly. Um, but at the same time, Paul is saying further down here that, uh, that in the case where one is married to an unbeliever, if the unbeliever can't live with grace, then uh, and they depart, then the unbeliever, the believer is not bound, that that is grounds for separation and divorce. I think that uh, where there is grace, where a person is walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and where the person is living for the Lord Jesus, it's very hard for, for, for no grace to live with grace. It's also at times very hard for grace to live with no grace. But grace, of course, is better than no grace. We have the grace of God. We can love uh, when we're under fire, we can love when we're in trouble. Paul thinks about those who want to stay with their husbands, even though their husbands are Christians and they're not. Paul thinks about those who want to stay with their wives, even though their wives are Christians and they aren't. And he says that the Christian shouldn't be responsible for putting away the unbeliever. That might be a very hard burden for some people um, to take, but that's the burden that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us in order to serve him. 
Bernadette, divorce is very sad and those affected are deeply wounded. By God's grace, healing begins. I couldn't agree with you more, Bernadette. That's, that, that is a, that's a, a very true comment and uh, divorce is very sad. It can be devastating and uh, there's nothing good about divorce, but, uh, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, yeah, that was a real point of J. Adams. Sometimes divorce is necessary uh, and it can free a person to serve God um, in a way that they weren't able to before. Kevin, if adultery occurs in divorce, still a last is divorce still a last resort? And what about abuse cases? Thank you for your question, Gavin. First of all, the question is divorce a last resort? I leave to you to consider yourself. If your husband or your wife commits adultery, what do you think? Do you love them enough to try and work it through? Do you love them enough to forgive them and ask them to repent and to see if it's possible to mend that marriage? I think that's Christian. Um in, we have to work it through with God, but putting it, is it the last resort? I think is a good way of putting it. I think we should fight for our marriages. I think we should defend our marriages. I think we should work for our marriages. But if someone commits adultery and they're not repentant for that adultery, I think that creates an impossible burden. But I'm not, again, we, we have to work that through. God delights when we are forgiving, when we show, uh, when, we, when we are forgiving, when we love, uh, 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 and when we forbear, but uh, forbearance uh, in marriage where there's adultery is a very big thing. But nevertheless, God promises us grace. But if I was married uh, and, uh, and my husband or my wife, depending whether I'm a man or a woman, um, committed adultery, I would be entitled to get a divorce on the grounds of adultery. These are biblical grounds. Uh, and perhaps I should say this, that that if I have biblical grounds for divorce on the grounds of adultery, then no one else can really judge me for that. It's between me and God. Um, because to if I was to judge somebody else and say, well, you divorced your husband for committing adultery, but you shouldn't have done that. You should have stuck with it. I'm going beyond what's written. Scripture allows, permits divorce. The Lord Jesus permits divorce for adultery. I can't judge somebody else. One of the biggest things here is that we've all got to answer to God in our own conscience. If I tell you I'm divorced and I wasn't responsible for it, I had no uh, guilt and no, um, no responsibility whatsoever. Well, I'm going to have to answer to God for that in my own conscience. I'm going to have to come before God. If we are divorced, we should certainly have spent time before God examining our consciences. And um, we have deceitful hearts and deceitful consciences. But if if somebody doesn't have biblical grounds for divorce, divorce, if my wife divorces me because she's bored with me or she wants to pursue her career and I'm getting in her way or something like that, those aren't biblical grounds for divorce. And she is responsible before God for her actions. I'm not saying that that's what happened in my case. Now, I wanted to say something. Um, abandonment. If the unbeliever leaves the Christian, if, if the believer leaves the Christian, that believer is responsible to seek reconciliation or they sin before God by failing to do so. If um, if they seek reconciliation and their husband wife won't have them back, that's a different matter. Then the responsibility goes on to the other person. But um, I think, although I can imagine situations where, which are more complex than just a simple yes or no situation. Now, what about abuse? Um, what about violence? Okay, so we'll allow Protestant churches generally or often or, or may allow, not all, but may allow um, divorce on grounds of abandonment or 
adultery, but what about abuse? And this one, this one of violence, I haven't found. I'm sure it's spoken of in many places, but I, 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 there's a limited amount of reading I've been able to do on the subject. But I think, um, to me, violence is the same as abandonment in the sense that if you are violent towards somebody, you you're really pushing them out of the home. You're really forcing them to go away. So instead of leaving yourself, you're forcing somebody else to leave. I don't think that anybody should be forced to live in a home where their life or their or their well-being is at threat. Now, of course, there are those who will use the argument that there's a gray area where they're not receiving massive physical threats, but the threat to the mental health and things like that is causing them extremely great distress, even to the point of being um, suicidal. And um, I'm not going to comment on that except to say that, except to say that, well, abuse can be very real, can't it? Abuse can be very real, but we can also we can also manipulate situations and use them. We have to we have to be compassionate, and we have to be willing to see that in some cases we can't be the judge of others. It's between them and God. But uh, there was this, there's this Christian denomination in the United States, and this, a lot much was made of this in the press because the women said, "I will stay with my husband even if he beats me, and even if he." kills me i will stay with him because that's what the bible requires now my opinion my personal conviction is that that's not right you shouldn't have a husband like that you shouldn't have somebody who's doing that to you and if they're doing that to you that's the same as if not worse than abandonment now these are issues we have to think through for ourselves these are issues that we have to um we have to work out some of the worst possible abuse in any marriage is psychological abuse not physical abuse but as Christians, we are promised grace from God. But um, we have to be compassionate. But the grounds given in the scriptures for divorce are abandonment and adultery given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a note about narcissists. Um, narcissists is a fairly recent term. Narcissists are people who lack empathy. They've got something wrong in their brains. Their brains aren't right correctly. Narcissistic personality disorder is a personality disorder which affects people what maybe one percent but the thing about this is that if you are married to a narcissist and it seems that a number of christians are um and a number of ministers are for example or uh, ministers wives may be married to narcissistic ministers that this is a situation which can be extremely abusive psychologically and um i, I haven't got a lot to say about this except this that that if you are married to a narcissist uh, 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 a rare thing if you're married to a narcissist nobody else from the outside is going to understand what's going on if you try and explain it they won't understand they'll think you're trying to excuse yourself but when you're married to a narcissist and you're being psychologically abused to a very high degree and nobody else can see it and you're the only one who knows it you get into this vicious cycle where you try harder the the, the narcissist you may not know they're a narcissist but they they give you what's called the silent treatment and you try even harder to please them. You want to love them more. You want to do anything to please them. The narcissist learns that the more they withhold love and uh, from you, the more they abuse you psychologically, the harder you try. And you get into this vicious cycle where you're trying harder and harder and harder and busting yourself, trying to love them, hoping that somehow they'll respond, but they won't. It's not possible for them to respond. They're not capable of responding. They get their buzz. They get their thrills out of your suffering and you trying hard and them giving nothing or very little in return. That's that's narcissistic personality um, disorder. Gavin says super manipulative bullies. Well, super manipulative, yes, uh, bullies, I think so. 
Um, I can only speak as uh, somebody who's read about this extensively, not somebody who is a professional in this capacity, but nevertheless, it's a real thing. Uh, and it, the dynamic of these relationships, people will look on and they'll say, well, you obviously don't love your spouse because they are... Um, the, I would say this, divorce is built into a narcissistic marriage. Uh, it's it's narcissistic relationships go through three three phrase phases and this is sound, this is observed uh, and and uh, this is this is um, properly recorded uh, there's a love bombing phase where you think they're the most wonderful person in the world and you can't believe that you met somebody who's so suitable for you and they're extraordinary then there's a devaluation phase that may last a very long time it may last decades when they're putting you down and they're undermining you and they're uh, and they're belittling you and they're controlling you and then finally there's the discard stage which if you're married to a narcissist is when for no apparent reason uh, they divorce you and they have no difficulty persuading the world that they are the victim and that you are the perpetrator so uh, i would say in the cases of narcissism it seems to me that divorce is almost pre-programmed um into the marriage and the person the poor victim doesn't know that um, Ian says, absolute forgiveness and prayer I found and still find to be vital. I absolutely wholeheartedly agree, Ian. Uh, and, uh, and um, well, I, I, I won't say more, but yes, Ian, thank you for your comment and uh, your, your own sharing your own personal experience with us. But the fact that you have absolute forgiveness and, uh, and, and you can move on from that and the Lord has moved you on from that is extremely important. We, we accomplish nothing by being bitter. We destroy ourselves by being unforgiving. We dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the Lord Jesus warned us about being unforgiven. Some people out there are going to hurt us and they're going to hurt us really badly. And it's going to hurt in the most... Uh, vulnerable places and it's going to hurt for the longest period of time but it's not going to hurt forever because there's a new heaven and a new earth coming okay so let me talk about the status of the divorced in the church i've gone on for a long time and the uh, status of the divorced in the church we should have the same status as everybody else if we're repentant for what we need to be repentant for repentance is a very powerful thing now i want to suggest this that if a christian a professing christian somebody who says they love the lord jesus christ divorces uh, their husband or their wife for non-biblical reasons then they need to repent with a capital r the, 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 you can fake repentance, but you can't fake repentance before God. Their repentance needs to humble them into the dust before God. If they have re divorced their, 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 their husband or their wife for bad or wrong or unbiblical reasons, repentance with a capital R. But repentance should put us on the same level with everybody else in the church. If there's somebody saying, as Jay Adams says, that uh, divorced people can't even sing in the choir, that is an absolute awful thing. Um, I don't want to go around hanging my head in shame and saying I'm divorced. I am divorced. I want to help divorced people. There are a lot of people there that want to help marriages, and I want to help marriages and marriages to be strong and marriages to persevere and marriages to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ and marriages to produce a loving, healthy environment for the bringing up of children and marriages to encourage and help people in their old age and so on and so forth and homes that are welcoming and warm and show Christian hospitality but I want help to divorce people as well. And there's so many of us out there and so much going on that's so important. Um, I know I've gone on for a long time, but I'm going to keep going and going to feel for, say everything I wanted to say on this. And then on Monday, we'll come to the question of um, remarriage and divorcees, which is a minefield, but I'll say what I believe God says about it. And uh, as, as, as we must take all of these things and... Um, weigh them up 
we have a clear conscience, we must ask God to search us by his Holy Spirit. We must compare ourselves with the word of God. Um, now, so let me say this. Um, grace, God looks at the heart. He sees your heart and mine. So if I say, for example, well, I'm absolutely not responsible for my divorce at all. God hears that and he knows that. And he knows whether that's true or not. I can hide my guilt from everybody else, but I can't hide it from God. Um, the elders might search diligently and say, well, we think you need to repent for this, and I may agree to that, but uh, they can't tell whether I'm repentant or not. Only God knows that. Um, now, when we are married to an unbeliever, we've covered this already, we're responsible to do everything we can to keep peace within the marriage and to, to, to be a servant to our husband or our wife as a Christian um, spouse. Um, I think I'll say this, I've seen this, and I think this is one of the things that happened in my own marriage, is that some people, when they're young and they get married, they're on a level with their, their husband or their wife. They're spiritually on a level. They're young believers. They, they want to serve God together. And you wouldn't be able to tell by looking at them um, whether one of them was further ahead in the race to serve the Lord Jesus Christ or not. But as time goes on, one of them grows in grace. The husband or the wife grows in grace. But the other one backslides and eventually falls away. And... They didn't foresee this when they got married. They didn't foresee this. And um, so they were on a level and one of them falls away. And, and this is this is um, this is the situation. But the Christian and the one who is growing, um, the one who's growing is always has the responsibility to show Christ's love within a marriage. Um, one of the greatest failings of the church I saw was uh, and I say this with I say this with some bitterness of heart, actually, that. When the church says, because you're a Christian and you're a member of this church, you either covertly or overtly, overtly or covertly, puts pressure on somebody in the church who's married to somebody who doesn't attend the church. The church puts pressure on that person to get a divorce. And I've seen that. When that happens, the church has passed from being a Christian organization to being a cult when people who don't attend church are got rid of. It's the exact opposite of what the Bible is telling us, that the Christian has a responsibility to maintain that. It's when the church is saying to the Christian, you have a right to divorce your non-Christian spouse because they don't attend this church. That turns the church into a cult. I've seen that, and I absolutely bitterly uh, object to that. Um, the church should never do that, but I've seen that happen. Um, now, men and women... Um, how do we how do we build strong marriages this is going to be a very short section but essentially it says husbands love your wife paul tells us that and and, and wives submit to your husbands and there's no getting away from that there's no getting away from the responsibility or level of sacrifice that both members of that relationship must give it's not the modern feminist view that women are the victims and men are having a great time being served hand and foot by their by their domestic slaves um, this isn't the case. The first thing about this submission is it's to be between both parties. But the first thing about wives submitting to their husbands is it must be always, it must always be voluntary. It can never be coercive or forced. So it must always be voluntary. She submits to her husband voluntarily. That's that's true submission. And that establishes the marriage and encourages the marriage and strengthens the husband to serve God as he should. The husband is commanded to love his wife. Christ loved the church. But you can't love somebody if that love is forced. I'm loving my wife, but I'm gritting my teeth. No, that's no good, is it? You have to love is voluntary. It comes from the heart. It comes from the will. And therefore, um, if 
husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And that means a constant giving of themselves to their wives and a pouring out of themselves and serving their wives, being servants to their wives, as well as their wives being in submission to them. Then that must be voluntary. That's the first thing. And again, I mentioned Vody Bochum's excellent talk uh, on um, how to fix marriages. And he says, forget all the psychology. He said, husbands, love your wives. It's commanded. And you say, you just said that love can't be forced. No, but if I love Jesus Christ, then I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church as, a, as an expression in my love for the Lord Jesus Christ. If I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I am a woman, I will want to submit to my husband as if I was submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's voluntary. It's my desire and it's beautiful. And uh, it militates against our flesh, doesn't it? We don't want to do that. Um, we want to love people because we've got good grounds to love them. They're good to us or, or whatever. But uh, but unconditional love, isn't that the love we receive from the Lord? So we're to give ourselves one to another within marriage. And that protects a marriage. Well, marriage is worth fighting for. Marriage is worth working through. Marriage is worth repairing, fixing. There's great forbearance in marriage. There's great forgiveness in marriage. There's, there must be a putting away of bitternesses. There must be a putting away of a list of wrongdoings and a remembrance of wrongdoings. And there must be work. And uh, above all, both parties must show themselves that they love Jesus Christ and are putting him first so that their relationship with their husband or with their wife is a reflection of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's homework for us all, isn't it? We're all full of failings in these areas. Finally, um, in the deepest distress, there is healing. When, when, um, when my wife left me and then when the divorce went through, I was totally distraught, absolutely distressed by the experience. And I thought nobody could ever have gone through worse than this. But then I met people who seemed to have gone through even a lot more than I'd been through. Now, the Lord has healed me and is healing me from that. But in the deepest distress, there is healing. And that comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from the Lord Jesus. That's why I commend him to you. He is somebody who loves us. He's somebody who died for us. He's somebody who is with us. He's somebody who keeps us. He's somebody who has purchased us with his own precious blood. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the savior of all those who put their trust in him. So let's keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternity is at hand. Our sufferings in this world are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. This is our light affliction. And before us lies um, the new heavens and the new earth and an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the saints of God in glory. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believed on him? Have you sought him? Have you found him? Is he yours by faith? Are you saved from your sin? Do you have the salvation that comes from all uh, mighty God? Um, amen. Father, we ask and pray that you would help us to heal those of us who are hurt and wounded. We ask that you'd help us to look to Jesus. And we ask that you would, Lord, keep us by your grace in these days. As we find ourselves wounded in the fight, as we find ourselves limping in the race, Lord, we see the finish post. We see the line. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd hold us up and carry us and keep us until we reach that line. Father, if we're hurting and wounded by these things, I pray, Father, that healing grace and mercy and love from Jesus would flow into our hearts and lives. If we're struggling in difficult marriages, I pray that we would not, never be the one that's responsible for not loving and not caring and not giving ourselves 
But Lord, if we are struggling, we pray for grace, we pray for wisdom, and we pray for help, and we pray for Christians that would help us. If we're struggling, we pray for our husbands or our wives, that they would find mercy and that there would be revival within our marriages. And to those of us who are divorced, Father, may we be examples of love and forgiveness and patience and goodness and kindness in our churches. Lord, in, in Texas, Lord, in 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 in, um, in in Australia and other countries represented here in Ireland, Lord, that you would have mercy, Lord, that you would that you would send revival, multitudes of people, and as these people come into the church and with all the messed up, screwed up, terrible, um, failed marriages and relationships that the world has, and bring these into the church, Lord, we pray that we would be filled with compassion and loving kindness and full of mercies, Lord, showing the love of Christ, and that we would have the delight and joy of, of, of seeing sinners saved and brought in to be with us, seeking the Lord and crying out, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you be with each one of us tonight and bless us and have mercy on us. And to those of us also, I just pray, Lord, for those who are single and who never were married, that you bless and have mercy upon us as well, since since, since that is the situation with some people and uh, absolutely just as precious and important as all of these other things. And this we ask and pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, and uh, there are some areas there where we have to do our own homework and we have to go away and we have to study and we have to have our own conscience before God. <coughs> I don't think there's such a thing as a marriage that doesn't have struggles and trials and difficulties Falling in love with somebody and getting married is easy. Sticking with it for the next 40 years is much more of a challenge. And um, I saw I saw some Christians and I saw some Christian older couples and they were struggling and there were all these bitternesses coming out. And I felt so sad. I thought that when I was an older Christian and I was still married, that I didn't want my old age to be a time of bitterness. I wanted it to be a time of relaxing and enjoying and rejoicing. And it's not going to happen to me now because I've lost my wife. But um uh, she left me, and um, I'm very sad about that. But uh, but um, but even so, we have so much more in our power that we can do to avoid bitternesses and, and unforgiveness, and so much more we can do if we only cast ourselves on the Lord Jesus. Again, it's easy for me to judge somebody else's relationship, but I've not proved successful in my own. So I think I should careful i don't throw stones uh, no drama both parties such sadness where it's one-sided wanting to do better love better and honor god well i think i think one of the saddest things i saw in the world was when people got divorced just because they got bored with each other just because you know we grew apart we no longer love each other we no longer got anything in common that's in the world that should never be in the church it's never grounds for divorce um i can understand that being in the world because the world only has worldly things to keep it occupied amusements diversion sport and so on so on uh, and um, we'll we'll try and hold marriages together with sexual relations. And I don't really see how that can happen. Um, it's part of marriage, but it can't be the whole of marriage. Um, and um, so the world does that. But if a church does that, how tragic that is. We have a purpose. We have a call. We have a cause. We have a saviour to serve. We have... Um, a, a body of Christ to be part of and to love and to care for. We can do that together as man and wife. And it suggests to me that if there is a failing of a marriage, that somebody in that marriage isn't pulling on the oars and serving Christ as they should. I want to go back to Ian's, um, Ian's comment, as good women exist, believers might be rare. Um, Ian saying great things about his wife, and thank the Lord for that, Ian. Um, and... Uh, 
um, and for speaking publicly about your love for your wife, and I think that's wonderful. Um, and uh, so Bernadette quotes Romans 8.28, and we know that all things um, work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And uh, this is this is really good. Um, Kim uh, saying thank you. Um, thank you for that, Kim. So I, I, I'll do my usual thing. I'll turn the camera off. We've got a minute to greet each other. Well, there are questions that people wanted to ask. Um, uh, and uh, if people want to contact me by email, you have to go to... Uh, I, will, I will try and put up a link at some point in the near future on YouTube, but you have to go to sermonaudio.com and find my page in my name there, and uh, there's an email link there. But... Um, uh, I think I think that uh, these are really important matters. Now, on Monday, I will I will uh, deal with the question of remarriage, divorce, and remarriage, and uh, that's 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 a difficult topic because of the fact that it produces a lot of disagreement amongst Christians. But it's an important one, and it's really important as Christians we don't condemn those who aren't guilty um, and don't acquit those who are. And this is a question which which deserves proper answering and i'm not saying that others haven't tried to answer it properly they have but i'll look at that on monday uh, god willing next monday if, uh, if the lord permits um maranatha ian indeed so thank you for being with us thank you for listening and the lord be with us all amen